Let's start with an old-timey illustration and then some prayer. And then I might have two more old-timey illustrations when we get to the next one, the next uh, question. Mr. Boston states in his memoirs, I love how all these assume that you're going to know who all these people are, because they were like famous at the time, that having been employed when a young man for some time by a notary, his employer failed to pay him for his services. Seeing a neglected book lying in the notary's chamber, he secretly took it away, thinking he might lawfully use this method of paying himself. But on farther reflection, he viewed his conduct as sinful and inconsistent with strict justice. Impressed with this conviction, he replaced the book. <laughs> like, that sounds like he's impressed with himself. Impressed with this conviction, he replaced the book with the same secrecy in which he had taken it away. An amiable instance of that tenderness of conscience for which the venerable man was remarkable. I think it's fascinating that it doesn't end with, and then the guy paid him, or then somebody heard what he did and was impressed and gave him 10 times the amount. He just ate the loss because his integrity was more valuable than whatever was owed him. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this spooky morning and all the fog. We pray that everyone driving here will get here safely and, and come slowly. And Lord, if there are those who shouldn't make the trip, that you would uh, help them to, to make a wise choice. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful time of year when it starts to get a little chillier in the air and the trees begin to change and we see uh, once again, you showing off the beauty of your creation, and we thank you for placing us here in its midst where we can enjoy it and experience it. Uh, we, are, we are so thankful that even when we brought sin and uh, curse into this world, you continue to shower us with good things. We thank you for your common grace, your rain that falls on the just and unjust alike, the sun that shines down on all of us. Lord, we thank you for your many gifts. We pray that they would continually point us toward returning thanks to you with gratitude, giving praise to you uh, for just what a mighty and amazing God you are. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together and continue to go through the catechism in which we're continuing to go through the, the Ten Commandments. Lord, we pray that if uh, any of us are, are struggling with one of these uh, commandments, even maybe unknown to us, that Lord, you'd bring it to our attention, that your spirit would convict us, uh, and you would help us to, uh, uh, like Mr. Boston, uh, impressed with a, a certain uh, understanding of our, our behavior, uh, repent and, and uh, turn away from the sin, knowing that we have forgiveness in Jesus' name when we do that. Uh, we thank you for every, everything that you give us. Uh, and, and Lord, I thank you for the kids that we had here for a party on Friday night, that we had a good time, that we had a dozen kids, that uh, it was uh, enjoyable. And, and Lord, it is, it is wonderful to be able to gather together again. We thank you even for that. Uh, in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're midway through thievery. Uh, and I have a, a bit of a shotgun approach, like boing, a bunch of little babies instead of a rifle or a laser, uh, meaning I want us to look up a number of passages, and I think there are just so many aspects of this worth discussing. Um, somebody open your Bible to Genesis 30. We are, of course, in, in Genesis 30 in the midst of uh, the story of Jacob. Uh, he's crafty, and then he gets into kind of a sly off with uh, his kinsman Laban. They're pranking each other with the wrong wives, and then he's uh, 
making shady deals about which uh, sheep get to be his and which one are Laban's and, and all this stuff. Finally, we get to the point where uh, he wants to part ways. And he does the old Irish goodbye, uh, gets up in the middle of the night. I don't know how you pack as much stuff and as many people as he would have had without being noticed, but somehow he does it. Uh, and somebody, uh, let's start, somebody read for us uh, uh, Genesis 30, 31 to 43. This is, uh, this is back with the flock increase chapter. Who's the he? Laban. Okay. Laban said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every black lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, and peeled, the, peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock so that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. My honesty will speak for me later. <laughs> so this is just, by any other name, a grift. I mean, that's what it is. He's, he's uh, scamming, and of course, he probably thinks he's owed it because he's given this guy 14 years of service when really the original deal was seven. Um, Laban is just sneaky, and he, he thinks, you know, I came out of the womb sneaky, grabbing at the heel. I know what I'm doing. I once bought a birthright for a cup of soup. I can deal with this guy. It's, is this breaking the Eighth Commandment is the question. <laughs> I want to know how the sticks work. We're not going to get into that. What? <laughs> Sounds like I was watching the Pokemon stuff that Colin was. It's all outside of my field, yeah. and and the purview of our conversation today. But I've heard I've heard people both mock the Bible for this and say even the like bringing together of the non-spotted ones to make spotted and striped and stuff doesn't work. And then I've also heard experts in this area say no, actually that would 100% work. Okay. So, and whoever wrote this down would know what their methods were for bringing about different kinds of, I mean, it's a, it's a pastoral society that's existed in that yeah, form. something about breeding yeah. those animals. Yeah, these guys, I mean, they, they, that's, that was their whole everything. So, yeah, they, I think they, at any rate, uh, even if it was 
completely off base and it just happens to work out for him or God blessed him or something, I guess that would bring up the question of whether or not uh, God would bless a sin. But the question is, is he breaking the commandment here in presenting himself as, I'll just keep these and you keep these and we'll let it all kind of sort itself out. Okay? I don't think he is because he said, these are the ones I'm going to take and those are the ones he ends up taking. Mm Mm-hmm. The way he goes about creating more of those is not in question. He didn't say to Laban, I'm only, you know, but we're not talking about lying. Aaron, you sound like no, you and Jacob would be buddies, no, okay? I think, that the, I think that you agree with me, and you're just saying that to play devil's advocate. <laughs> okay, anybody have a counterpoint for Aaron? Anybody think that this reeks of sketchiness? Well, I mean, Laban was sketchy first. Okay, now that that is true. Laban was sketchy first. Sean, your thoughts? There's nothing in the the Ten Commandments says that you can do this if you get done too. Right. We're 100% in the territory of that guy owes me money, so I'm going to secret his book away. But then the conscience kicks in. Jacob's never did. Conscience wasn't his strong suit, honestly. But <laughs> I, why do you think, what, what about this do you think is, is technically breaking the, the commandment? Well, I mean, the sneakiness of how he gets the animals to be spotted had to be um, assumed not happening when he made his contract with them, and when he made his agreement. And I, I'm not saying that what he did, yeah, I am saying that what he did wrong. <laughs> uh, and uh, just because one guy's wrong doesn't mean you can... I don't know. Maybe this is saying just because one guy's wrong, you can be wrong too. Cameron, would you be a favor? Shut the door. John Piper's really loud in the next room there. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I don't think that this is prescriptive and saying don't worry about you know principle if the person you're dealing with is equally shady. Um, no, I, I tend to see this as a clear violation of the, the Eighth Commandment. When, in which, well, I mean, I'm not the be-all, end-all if you, if you have a case to be made for it, but... When you can say, if I just glance at a woman, I'm sinning, right. this is a sin. Yeah, so it's in the heart. Even if, even if technically, look, I didn't actually... This is like backseat stuff. I'm not touching her. I'm not touching her, Dad. I'm not, like, like, the idea that I can make this agreement with you in good faith, but I'm not acting in good faith. Now what I'm doing is the moment you're out of sight, I'm sneaking around with my sticks and my flocks and, and re-kind of configuring them so that I will get more and you will get less. And whether or not Laban has been a great, you know, uncle-in-law or no father-in-law, yeah, right, um, or whether he has been uh, completely honest and straightforward himself, is almost irre- is, is is completely irrelevant when it comes to how we image God and how we obey him and how we're supposed to be. I mean, the whole Levitical law, don't even weave in a few fibers of a different kind of uh, fabric. You know, the, the whole picture of everything is beyond reproach, perfectly pure, outside and separate and holy from the rest of mankind who are, who are doing these kind of things. There are two questions. Uh-huh. One, um, I don't know how to do this. I can remember the second one, but it has to come second. Okay, so is this a case, possibly, maybe not, maybe not, 
But this seems like wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Because he's being wise as a serpent in the way he's reading these, but he is not breaking his word when he says, I am taking these animals, we agreed to it, this kind of animal, and that's what I'm taking. Second question, God, we, we keep reading that God blesses Jacob with all of this stuff, uh -huh. all of these people, all of these animals. So is God blessing his methods here? That, that's what I was going to comment on too, is mm -hmm. I think is that... Uh, we see, like, although he's maybe being a shrewd businessman and maybe too shrewd, um, that he's not serving a God where it's like, if I follow these commandments perfectly, I'll get this, like, you know, blessing. It's not like a magic spell sort of God that he serves. Now, the Mosaic Covenant is not yet in place, which is going to involve the two mountains and, you know, uh, the blessings and curses laid out on Gerizim and Ebal and all this stuff. He's being blessed as a descendant of Abraham. Right, right because of a covenant in which Abraham stood back and God walked through between the two halves, meaning God's the one saying in ancient Near East thought, if I violate this, uh, let me be torn asunder. Well, he knows Abraham and his, his descendants are going to, so he's not going to put them through that, that uh, process. So... I think we can't, even though he blesses him, I mean, look at Jesus' genealogy. It's a, the whole Old Testament is a story of God blessing people that right. don't deserve it because right. the whole Bible is a story of grace. So I don't think we can say, in the same way you could say, well, look, the Mormon church is growing leaps and bounds right now. Is God in that? Now, granted, there's a difference between there's growth, it must be God blessing, and when we're told specifically God increased, you know, so, yeah, I think that, that may be something to consider. And when it comes to wise and serpent, serpents, innocent as doves, I think that, that's that too violently to yanked out of okay. context. And I would also say he's being wise as a serpent and innocent as a serpent. Uh, <laughs> but, I, I mean, from the, from the beginning, God shows up. And what does this guy do? He doesn't fall down to worship him. He's like, let's wrestle. I mean, he's not an example to follow at, at every turn. No, and I'm not saying he's an example to follow. I'm just saying uh -huh. I don't know that I, I don't know that he broke the agreement that the he question, made. The question is, even though it's a sin, are there times to behave in that way <laughs> with Laban with his uncle? You know, mm. or should he have just been taken advantage of? You, you don't know that he broke what agreement? The agreement with Laban. Oh, okay. The human contract. So you're saying that it's Laban's at fault here for not... Specify terms. He should have known. I mean, from a wisdom folly point of view, he should have known he was dealing with... But he thought he was smarter than Jacob. Yeah, yeah. He thought that he would... So yeah, you could say... Yeah, okay. If you both think you're going to win. It's possible, though, that both of them had sinful intent going into this. I'm sure they did. I don't know, when you go into a, to buy a car from a, a yeah. dealership, if you're hoping to walk out where they actually kind of don't make any money on you, and you walk in, you're like, I'm going to do that because those slimy used car salesmen, apologies to any listening, um, you know, they, they try to take us for everything. Neither of you, has, both should have the goal of this guy's going to make or this woman's going to make money on doing their job today, and I'm not going to get taken to the cleaners. Both. Right? Um, when we're paying our taxes, we don't want to pay a bunch of stuff we don't have to because we have a bad accountant uh, that, that fails to find all sorts of, you know, loop, not loopholes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That, that's a similar question, I guess. Is it sinful to find the loophole because you're not technically breaking the contract? 
Uh, my, my accountant uh, seems very good. Aaron and I use a guy whose uh, uh, website is something like clergy tax professionals or something um, and knows how to work with the this sort of double dip of uh, mortgage interest plus uh, the housing exemption and stuff. It's something that the government put out there and you go, may as well take advantage of it. But from that point of view, you could say this is something that Laban kind of put out there as I'm I'm going I'm willing to go along with it. So right. Jacob may as well. Well, and I mean, like you could also say, well, the government's always saying, well, let's take advantage of this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. What is my money actually going to? And you hear you hear Christians talk in those terms, right? Well, it's not like I'm stealing from someone who deserves it. I'm just taking from the government, and they're the enemy, and <laughs> blah blah. Well, okay, that's not <laughs> that's not the way that God presents the paying of taxes, but. Um, all right, I thought that there was a, a fascinating uh, discussion, and I think it's telling that in the very next chapter, then, what is going on is straight-up theft, right? When they get on, on the, the donkeys, or on the uh, camels, rather, and they, and they take off, and Laban's like, whoa, what are you doing? You're just going to fade out of here in the middle of the night? No goodbye? This is iffy. And then he says, also, I'm missing something. Anyone? The old household gods, and who do we have taking them? But somebody who learned her sneakiness from her dad, Rachel says, "Do you remember how she gets out of this?" Yeah, yeah, she's like the old, the old twenty-eighth day routine. She's like, I remember when I was the assistant coach for the girls' swim team. Um, I'm like, wow. These girls get out of practice for this like every three days um, because the coach was not going to challenge anybody. But like, uh, yeah, she she pulls that to say, you can't come near me. I'm unclean. And he's like, well, all right. And he probably knows that's where my my gods are in amongst her baggage. But she finds this loophole where he she can't be caught. So I think, I don't know, we, at least these kind of sneaky things tend toward breaking of the Eighth Commandment. Oh, yeah. Now, we could say the Eighth Commandment hasn't even been given yet. It's not been put on the tablets, and that's true, and yet there is still sin and uh, virtue. I mean, that's, I mean, we even already, with Noah, have clean and unclean animals. So we are assuming a situation in which God has uh, communicated uh, what is right and what is not uh, to his people and, holding, and holds them accountable. Well, you know what? Hold on. Let me, let me roll back one more time with Jacob. Because this occurred yeah, to me. If, if it was okay not to technically break the, the agreement with Laban, was it okay not to technically steal something from his brother when he came in from hunting and was so ravenous he thought he might That's heal over and die? And if we're going to say that was okay, it was just smart of him, was it okay for him to put a little fur on See, and that going, seems like it's clearly, clearly designed. No, there's an overt lie involved there. Yeah. Is that you? Because you know you don't smell. <laughs> Apparently, he saw was just reeked. <laughs> you smell more. You smell more like my my kind of gentle son, who's who's cooking with mom and like kind of just scheming and and and, and more of an endorsement. Um, and he says, "No, it's me. It's, it's it's Esau. Can't you tell by how hairy I am?" And uh, the old guy's like half checked out. He's not, uh, so he just gives them the blessing. And that has the overt lie in it, but there is implicit dishonesty in almost all of these things we've discussed. Mm -hmm. Is one better than the other for for someone who's 
a follower of this God who, who says, you know, who, especially for one of us who's a follower of Jesus, who says, therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and points us into the heart um, and says, yeah, with your eyes, still adultery. In your heart, still theft. I think that, I think it's really, like the bar was really raised over time, bit by bit, because like it's, it's raised at the Mosaic Covenant, the bar for your behavior is raised, the bar is raised like to the nth degree when Jesus is talking about all of that. Like, I I don't know that maybe God didn't expect as much out of them, but it, it seems like, um, they don't, they don't seem to have any, like, remorse about anything. <laughs> well, when he, as soon as he's out of sight here, he's got bigger problems, which is, oh yeah, Esau right. wants to kill me, uh, and... But it's it, always like this, this... He can. This problem, this exterior problem, you never get the interior of, like, whether he's struggling with the fact that he's done this to people. Right. Okay. How do you sleep at night? Yeah. On a rock. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning, now, how do you sleep at night with the wife that I love, not the one that I don't? Um, yeah, and think, even that doesn't seem to bother him, right? I mean, no. I think the bar has always been where it is. They just couldn't see it. Yes, I agree. Just didn't know. Jesus isn't giving well, new standards. Saying, He's revealing yeah, the law. Saying. And even when you, when you read the books of the law and recognize that, I mean, this stuff goes, it, it's every single little moment of your day and, and stuff is is legislated and they're all like all these things you've said we will do jesus comes in and says guys you can't do it you need grace uh and so when we break this commandment i think we tend to and i'm certainly not saying aaron is is doing this now but we tend to uh with our own behavior uh try to do these games of well i didn't quite eh, rather than because i think we're afraid that if we break the commandment God's going to be so angry with us and he's going to punish us in the moment. We have that native to us and we have to remember that the point of that Sermon on the Mount was you can't keep this law. I've come to keep it for you. And then as he continues teaching, I then will die on a cross for the times you fail to keep it and you will be made righteous with my righteousness. So we got to keep that in mind, you know, a grace lenses on when we look at the law um, and not self-condemn or allow the enemy to kind of condemn us. Um, I mean, I'll tell you this. I don't know if I don't want to get fired or anything, but I have gotten creative with my taxes in ways that, I mean, not big things, but a little like, wow, that was probably used for, I don't know, business, yeah. Uh, you know, like, and then later gone, eh, that was probably not right. In fact, that even one time, like, after the fact, said to my uh, guy, like, I think I may need to, like, file an amendment, and he was like, it won't change anything, don't do it, you don't want to get audited, and you will if you... Um, it, it, it's easy to just get caught in these cycles of justifying what we've done, rather than recognizing I, I have an advocate in heaven for when I fall, and it's so much better for me to just acknowledge that I've fallen and cry out to him so that he'll pick me up, rather than, no, I'm fine down here, this is fine, everything's fine. Like that meme with the dog and the fire. Yeah, right, yeah, it's good, I don't care. I think it's hard because in, uh, in like, normal society, we do need to have degrees, right? Like. Whatever. First like, like the functioning of. Yeah. We, we have to 
run the world with our human justice in that way. But God sees all sin as abhorrent, big little ones and big ones. You know, so we don't we don't behave like Him, but day to day, our justice system kind of some sins are worse than others. Some sins are worse than others. Make no mistake. In God's eyes, certainly some sins are worse than others. I think we often read that thing in James that says, you know, to have broken one uh, commandment is to have broken the entire law. That's speaking salvifically and you're standing before God. Once you've broken one, you stand as a sinner before him. But we never see God threatening to depart from the midst of his people for, um, you know, what we would call little sins. Uh, Gossiping uh, or... um, you know, let's see, there, there are things that people do that we would kind of see, I got to work on that. You know, being a little conceited and walking around puffed up. Uh, God doesn't like those things, but he gets very angry about oppressing the poor or uh, taking advantage of the alien in your midst or um, idolatry or, you know, so there, there, are, there are things that raise God's ire more. Um, but when we read the Sermon on the Mount and recognize that to have kept the law is to have kept it perfectly, then yeah, I think we, we may as well just acknowledge any time we fall, I'm a guy, I'm a lawbreaker, broken it again, but my real identity is in Christ who came to save me. That's the whole purpose of the Old Testament, right? Is to convict us. It seems to be. Point to Jesus. It's, it's a, well, yeah, and I think that. <laughs> For me, because I'm pretty convicted. I mean, I was counting how many times I sinned on the way to church this morning. Whoa. <laughs> Ran out of fingers, this guy. Took his shoes off. <laughs> I mean, if you keep the law perfectly, I shouldn't have gone through that yellow line I could have stopped for. And I shouldn't have thought this thing about that guy standing on the corner trying to plug money. And, uh, and, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Depends on what you thought. <laughs> if you thought you looked like an able-bodied man who could take one of the gazillion jobs, uh, you're probably right. Um, or, you know, maybe it was a spirit of judgmentalism, which I sometimes find myself with, too, and maybe, maybe it was sinful. I guess the default of just fleeing to Christ whenever we sin has got to be where, where we sit. And when we read about the law and talk about these things, that's got to always be in view. In fact, I think the idea of it being the lens through which we even look at the law is, is the right uh, picture. Yeah. What I find such a shame is that it seems like most people that I know who I've had conversations with who are not Christians who know that I am and we talk about things related to that, have the impression that this religion is about um, not doing certain things. A set of rules, yeah. Like, they'll swear and then they'll apologize for it. I'm like, well, it's not really about that. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't swear, but that's not what it's about. And, And they automatically think it's about, this is the stuff that you can't do because the popular, you know, culture, that's what it is. And they and may have been raised in a yes. kind of fundamentalist church where that's what that was... That is what it was taught. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a the passage we're, we're looking at in uh, the service today. Uh, in this few verses in Esther 1, there's obviously the evils and dangers of over-consuming alcohol there. i got to acknowledge it. I look at my sermon and go, okay, i got to make sure this doesn't say, this is what we don't do as Christians and if you do it, shame on you, but rather is on the way to grace, always. Uh, because if you, you know, even, even like when using that kind of 
third use of the law, Luther had the idea of three uses of the law. The first one is civil use. You know, Sean wouldn't have gone through the red light. You probably wouldn't get pulled over the yellow light, but you don't go through the red light because you'll get pulled over. So that's for everybody. Believer and unbeliever alike, the, there's, in my heart, most people aren't going to murder someone when they get angry because the law is just, it's just there. Um, second use is that Old Testament thing of uppercut to the gut, shove to the foot of the cross, that schoolmaster that says, I'm going to get you to Jesus by showing you that you can't keep me. And then the third use is for Christians. And it says the, the sort of yardstick of how we live, this, the law of Christ, the, the law of freedom. This is in, in us now, um, not to earn anything, but because we have been bought with a price, we now want to live and we have a standard by which we live. And, and the law still plays a role. Law meaning what we should do for God, what he expects of us, rather than what he's done for us, which is the gospel. But in preaching and teaching, you even have to be careful with that third use, because if you come in with it last, you can take away with the left hand what you've offered with the right hand in gospel grace and say, oh, yes, Jesus died for your sin. But if you come in with, but if you, you can just yoink it right away from someone who is about to receive it. And so I think we need to be really careful in general with, with the law as Christians to not fall into what the world assumes. And when you talk to unbelievers, I think you have to explain this stuff. That, and, and I think an easy in is sometimes when people will say, well, I mean, don't, don't all religions basically teach the same thing? They're begging you to explain this distinction. All religions do basically teach the same law because all humans are walking around with the vestiges of that law, broken as it is, in their hearts. And so everyone and everywhere, they're reaching out to God because they know he exists and they were hardwired to have a relationship with him and they have this law. So it's all basically the same stuff. You know, you read the, the Quran, you read the Bible, you read you know, whatever you're, you're into, even the writings of, uh, you know, uh, atheistic philosophers often get us to the same thing. Um, basically, you know, a Kant's categorical imperative uh, Kant wasn't uh, wasn't an uh, atheist, but might as well have been. Um, the idea of you know, do nice things for others, what you'd want them to do for you. But Christianity's not about the law. So no one can keep these laws, but we have the gospel, which means good news. It's news about something someone else did for us because we can't keep the law. And so when you talk about your faith with somebody, you got to make sure you can't leave them in despair going, okay, well, what hope is there for a sinner like me? You know, you frame yourself as a sinner like them and tell them, give them the reason for the hope you have within, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, and I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm off on preaching now when we should be discussing things. Uh, let's move on to another notion of, of theft, which is Malachi 3. I'll read it. Um, what are the verses? Verses 6 and following. Tell me if you grew up in a Baptist church, if you ever heard a message on this one. I, the Lord, I mean, I know you heard me preach all the way through Malachi, but, but apart from that, I am the Lord and do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you will ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. 
Uh, there's a whole section on how to prevent the pestilence and all these things if they, if they stop robbing him. Have you heard that one? Oh, I maybe. I grew up in a Baptist church, but I, I've heard. Yeah? It, I don't know. Yeah, and I say Baptist because that's my experience. It, it could be, you know, hardcore preachers everywhere. I think probably I'm just remembering you talking about it when you... Bless you. Like the, how it's been abused. The, the way it's usually framed, obviously, is tithes and offerings today for a Christian. If you don't tithe, that's 10%. And Reverend Lovejoy will say that's off the top. Gross, not net. Net, not gross. Gross, not net. Um, we're going to pass the plate again, you know, whatever. Um, then God's cursing you. But test him in this if you just start giving that 10% or even a little more. Oh, and, and we start getting very close to the whole like seed offering televangelist, you know, send in your $10 and God will give you 10000 kind of stuff. Um, the problem with that, of course, is that there is and this may be controversial, no New Testament command to tithe. Nothing, Nathan, nada. It is not in the New Testament anywhere. That's just a fact. I, I've preached that, hopefully that's not new to you. I, I've preached that before when I've preached on, I used to every year on Pledge Sunday preach on giving. Um, it's, again, takes it from the external requirement of the Old Testament law to the internal new heart spilling forth and instead, in the New Testament, God loves a cheerful giver is the framing of things. Uh, he doesn't want you to go, all right, fine, 10%. In fact, Jesus makes fun of these guys who are out here counting 10% of the leaves on their mint, on their, their window ledge, right, in, in order to be right with God so they'll be blessed, even while they, you know, their hearts are filled with darkness. He doesn't want that. He wants the heart to be generous. Um, and so, you know, you've also probably heard preachers say, therefore, 10% should be, you know, a ground floor of where you give. Because now we're, what God wants is for you to give, to take what you've been given and to, to give to the poor and help them to give to the church for the mission of the church, to, to be a giving and generous person. Um, will man rob God? That was them breaking the Old Testament covenant that they all said all these things we will keep and now they're creative about how they count up what they've got and how they bring in their tithe. I wonder if there were any later generations that were like, oh, why did they say that? We did this? <laughs> <laughs> well, without it, I mean, how you're going to find your way out of the wilderness, right? You kind of have to say whatever you think he wants to hear. I don't know. But uh, the question then is, can a man in a new covenant setting rob God? Is this a possible way to break the, the commandment? Can you oh, rob God? I, I told you that uh, yes. Thomas Watson would say, if you do anything on the Lord's Day for your own kind of amusement or worldly recreation, you're robbing him of that full day of like slavishly resting on his behalf. Parallel yeah. of the talents. Okay. So he's robbing the master even though he gives him the exact same amount back as he got because he buried it and didn't do anything with it, and he gets punished for it. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's an example of robbing God. He's given you things to bless people and to do ministry, and if you don't do those things, then you're robbing God. Right, and the parable is about stewardship. Yeah. So we are stewards. Nothing we have is our own. And so if we take everything we're given and just use it for ourselves... Yeah, effectively, you're, be, you're being a bad steward, and I'm, I am no expert on first century uh, synagogue law or something, but I'm pretty sure that 
you could be dragged before the council and, and probably get into some big trouble if it was, or at the very least, you'd be fired. Um, in fact, there's the unfaithful steward who is fired in one of the parables as well. Uh, and he has to hurry up and scramble to figure out how he's going to make a living and, and, and eat after that. So, yeah, I think that's a good example. You're, you're given things by God not to squander, but in order to glorify him. Uh, and it is possible, I think, to break the commandment by, by robbing God. Now, does that mean that everything you're given, you've got to turn back in some uh, churchy expense, you know, so that at the end of the day, you can show God all your receipts and be like, look, <laughs> even the time I went to Applebee's, I made sure the waitress saw us praying, so I was a good witness. Uh, no, we're, we're, again, we're not in this bean counting uh, headspace that the fundamentalists want. You, you think that God's watching you in green eye shade and, you know, adding machine. Rather, our hearts should be prepared all the time for opportunities. I think, uh, having just brought up eating out, uh, when Sean and Cindy, me and Calvin, uh, went out to eat with Jeff and Karen Johnson when they came here, um, the coolest thing was how before they prayed, and it was busy there, so I was a little uncomfortable at first because I'm like, this lady doesn't want to have a conversation. They grabbed the server, and Karen said, we're going to pray in a minute. Is there anything we can pray for you? And the lady, like, I don't know, maybe it's in my mind, it looked to me like she got actually a little choked up for a second that somebody even cared, especially, you know, labor shortage and everything, and people are, like, mad, and it's taken a long time to get their food and stuff, for someone to be like, hey, we just want to pray for you. And honestly, I don't remember what she said. She did have something, and she said, okay, would you like to stay and pray with us? And she's like, I got a guy at tables. But this, they said that they do this everywhere they go, and they've been able to lead people to Jesus this way. And I was just like, that is amazing. So, uh, you know, if, if the person said no, you know what? It's okay to just eat food. You got to eat. And uh, it's okay to eat. Uh, well, we went to Arcadia, which is some of the best barbecue you can get in Greater Lansing. It's okay if you just go and eat. You don't have to justify every action to God as a, a work-related expense. Even stewards were given a per diem money to get from point A to point B. They were representing the king, so they were, were expected not to be you know, going around in rags you know, on a donkey with three legs or something. And, and, and you know, they were expected to get a room and get rest and sleep and stuff. But ultimately, beyond that, the excess, the increase, that was not for their glory, it was for God's glory. So I think, I mean, that's really abstract terms, but you know how it might apply to you. It is possible for a person to rob God, and I think we kind of know when we do it. Uh, in my line of work, it's real easy. If I look back at a week and go, gosh, I probably only put in like 36 hours of work this week. I was distracted by some other thing. I had some personal crisis, or I had something I was working on, or, um, and then I have to go, okay, add these things in and make sure that you're not taking off more time than, you know, because like when we went and, and bought our house and we were at the title company and the lady's like, well, just fill in your direct supervisor here. And I was like, should I write God? And she was like, nothing anyone has ever said has been funny to me. So don't make jokes. <laughs> but you know, there, there's that. But I don't think that pastors are unique there. I think that, you know, just like uh, when, when, uh, Potiphar's wife is trying to entice Joseph into sexual sin. He says, I can't sin against God because your husband is my master. In the same way, if you work for a thoroughly secular, quote unquote, employer, you're still stealing from God at the end of the day if you milk the clock. 
you're stealing from your employer as well, but you're, I mean, so if, if you, uh, you know, run out the, uh, you, if say, for example, there's a bridge that you've closed down and it's done and it's ready and, and it would be really convenient for people to bring their kid to school over it, but you're like, I can get a little more money out of this. I, hypothetically all around. Um, it's become normal to do that kind of thing. And I'm sure that in a work at home setting, it will become even more normal. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that employers will figure that out pretty soon and this kind of stuff's gonna go the way of the dodo, but that's just my opinion. At any rate, whatever your situation, you've gotta remember that God is watching. Not because you're afraid that he's gonna strike you with a lightning bolt because he's waiting for you to break one of his rules, but because you love him and you're a steward of everything he's given you. Time, talent, treasure, and the rest. Is it time to end? People are getting shifty. Okay. Anyone have any other thoughts on robbing God? Aaron, are you pro-robbing God? I know that you're pushing back on some stuff. <laughs> that was the best look. Oh, you're so cute when you're mad. So I do. Purpose. My head is the distinction because we we talked about the commandments in the past. There's like these four are for God. These six are for people. So I'm hearing you kind of blend this one with this idea. Right. Yeah. They have to do with um, direct relationship between God and individual, and then how that relationship spills out horizontally. Uh, but so it's not that you're only sinning against people if you break these six. Yeah, perhaps you're adding another layer of culpability. Uh, because if I break the Sabbath, I mean, it affects my family. But if I'm a, a, you know, a single person at my house and I break the Sabbath, I haven't hurted anybody, but I've still sinned against God. If I steal from someone, I've sinned against them and against God. So... I think that's why the Baptist distinction of the first and second table has been so important because if the magistrate comes in and says, you sinned solely against God and we're going to punish you, they're overstepping their, their mandate. But if they say, you've sinned against God and your fellow man and we're going to punish you, then that's you know, where they rightly ought to exercise authority. Uh, but yeah, I think the distinction, you, you think it holds, right? I mean. Does anyone think that maybe we're seeing something that's not there with the vertical, horizontal? No, I think the way that you're explaining it with the, what, what is it, what are the limitations of human justice? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's the important part. It's not that we're not sinning against God. Any time you break a commandment, right. you'd be sinning against God. But, and, and I think, I'm sorry, go ahead, but. But the civil authority has no part in like throwing you out of your city if you haven't gone to church on Sunday or whatever, like they might in certain communities. Yeah, uh, where Baptists were dissenting, right. certainly. Um, and I think the main thing is, is less about the civil authority and more about we start with this first commandment, only one God, no other gods. And then from there it builds you know, we respect his name. We respect his house and the day that he's given us, um, all these things. And then from there, it spills outward. And I think it's a picture for us, like how Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, our relationship with God is not going to be this privatized, isolated thing that Americans think of. This just, you know, blue sky beam between me and the big guy. And, 
you know, don't talk to me about it. We're all very private about our religion, and mm, I'm Baptist, you're Presbyterian, but mm. no, it's got to, if it's real, if it's worth anything, spill outward. So I think that's why the law starts with this, my relationship with God, and then it just starts blowing out outward because there's no way that it won't. If my relationship with God is very selfish, then probably my relationship with my fellow man will be very selfish. And probably I'm not going to be, if I use these commands as the kind of yardstick to measure my, my behavior and, and my heart, I'm going to see that I fall short quite a bit. Um, that said, I don't think rabbinically this has been a, a, you know, a Jewish distinction. You know, when Jesus came on the scene uh, and Hillel and Shimei and all these were, were teaching, I don't think that I've ever come across a reference to that already being a category. I think this may be us kind of looking back and systematizing something. Um, I think it's probably time to, to call, gosh, I thought we were gonna get to the next, I still have more, I still have more theft stuff to talk about. Um, real quick, here's one maybe to think about on your, uh, during the week. In 2 Samuel 15, Absalom, the son of David, decides he wants to be king, and he stands by the gate, and anybody who comes in, he's like, hey, Absalom here, house of David, what, do you have any problems? Do you have any issues? And they're like, oh yeah, I, I definitely do. And they, they lay them all on. He goes, oh wow, that sounds awful. Unfortunately, the king has not uh, appointed anyone to hear a case like that. That's tough. I, I though, I really, I resonate with that and I, I feel bad for you. And in doing that, he slowly, it says, steals the hearts of men. And then, of course, there's a revolt. Uh, he rises up. A lot of people flock to him because there's this murmur of Absalom would be a better king. He'd be, he's, more, he's for the people. And it ends badly. Does anyone remember what, how, Calvin, do you remember how it ends for, for Absalom? I've only like heard that story once. In a while. I remember. It's really great. There was a picture of my children's Bible of it. Yes, he's he gets impaled, but first he's he's got long, beautiful hair. He gets caught. He's 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 on a donkey. He gets caught. He's running away from Joab, who is you know he's Joab, right? And he gets caught by the hair in a tree, and he's hanging there. Kicking, and Joab comes up and he's like, shouldn't have messed with your father David. Three javelin through the heart. Um, yeah. Now, David was not happy about that, obviously. He was very, very sad. Absalom, Absalom, my son. He's, I can't believe Joab survived that day. Um, but uh, it goes to show that that is also a very serious kind of theft, stealing hearts, uh, someone's, someone's loyalty from someone. You see this happening maybe um, with, with, uh, in families. You see it happening uh, in, in a workplace. Um, so let's talk about that next time. Uh, hopefully we'll get through the rest of the Eighth Commandment and, and on to the Ninth. <laughs>